Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. say I haven't looked at you from this perspective since March. Good morning. Three summers ago, most major news sources in America reported the death of a French philosopher and psychoanalyst named, and I need you to literally pardon my French, Anne de Fumantel. Philosophers still sometimes achieve uh, rock star status in France, I'm told, but that's not the case in this country. And the death of this one would almost certainly have gone unnoticed if not for a touching, if heartbreaking, irony in its circumstances. Anne de Fumantel died attempting to rescue two children from drowning in the Gulf of Saint-Tropez. She'd also written a book titled In Praise of Risk because she'd come to believe that embracing risk is essential to a full and meaningful life. The headlines wrote themselves, Philosopher who praised risk died trying to save children from drowning, went one. Now, Miss de Fumantel didn't run the bulls at Pamplona or bungee jump or climb Mont Blanc without ropes. She didn't go out looking for risky things to do. She'd simply noticed that there is a risk inherent to being alive that we need to come to terms with. In fact, she once said, the usual expression is, I risk my life. But perhaps one should say, I risk life. To be entirely alive is a risk, and few people are. There are many zombies, undead, lives attenuated by the disease of death, as Kierkegaard called it. Her story traveled the world, not because her death showed us how foolhardy her interest in risk had been, but because something within us knows that Anne de Fumantel was very much among the fully alive when she leapt into the sea that afternoon in Saint-Tropez. The parable of the talents is often understood in terms of, well, talents. And there's good reason for this. As you probably know, a talent was a unit of money in Jesus' time. But by about the 13th century, the word talent had come to mean gifts or skills in English and several other languages as well. And this new meaning of the word arose directly from an interpretation of this parable. But I increasingly find this understanding of the story, if not entirely wrong, much too small. To limit the parable's reach to what we can do misses something more essential in what I think drives it. It actually misses what drives it so powerfully that 13 centuries on, it would add a word to a language that hadn't been invented when Jesus spoke it into being. And something of what it misses is captured fairly directly by my lights in the death of a philosopher of risk who probably would be alive today if her skill as a swimmer were greater. The parable comes so much more alive for me if Jesus wasn't talking essentially about your ability as a butcher or a baker or a candlestick maker. Although it's all well and good to do what you do to the glory of God, The parable comes to life when we see Jesus was talking about embracing a risk inherent to being alive. 
there's a deep paradox in the way of Jesus. At its heart, it's a way of grace over law, a way of unconditional love and radical acceptance. But he also tells us this way will cost us everything, beginning with our impulses toward self-preservation and our need for security above all else. The liberating, world-healing, abundant life Jesus demands, making our peace with these risky lives we've been given and not giving them over to fear. Or as Marilyn Robinson once put it, Fear is not a Christian habit of mind. This doesn't mean Jesus was never afraid or that Christians should never be. In fact, the most vivid image of a person afraid, not just in the Bible, but maybe in all the world's literature, is Jesus himself, of course, sweating blood in the garden. It's not that Jesus never experienced fear. It's that he refused to use it as a means of control over others. And he refused to let it control who he was and how he lived and thought and related to other people as well. Throughout his life and his teachings, Jesus showed us what it looks like to live a life not driven by the fears that have long driven so much of this world. Fear of the outcasts and the unclean, which is, which is fear of whoever makes you shiver or cringe or turn away in disgust. Fear of not having enough and therefore burying our talents in the ground, or worrying today about tomorrow, or building barns to store up what won't last, or holding on tightly to what becomes meaningful only when it's given away. Fear even of the power of the empire's violent ways, even if that empire takes your life away in the end. Read the stories he told, the statements he made, Look at the whole arc of his life and his death, and you see someone fully, vibrantly, divinely alive in this risky and dangerous world. And so Anne de Fumantel was just expanding on the 2,000-year-old insights of Jesus when she said the enemy of a right relationship with risk is an obsession with security. In part because the idea of absolute security, of zero risk, is a fantasy, but she also named that the persistent attention we give to security seems to generate fear rather than assuage it, especially when our fears are generalized and vague, like the threat of a random terrorist attack, which is meant to give us a sense of continuous danger in our lives. When there's a real but specific threat that needs to be faced, like, like the Blitz for Londoners in World War II, Human communities have great capacity for action and cooperation, for, for dedication to one another, and a great incentive to become part of something larger than ourselves. But this doesn't happen when we walk around in a generalized sense of continuous danger. We shrink back into destructive habits of self-protection as our imaginations fixate on the infinite possibility of threat, often creating images of the threatening one who's unlike us, coming to get us. And when our media and our politicians use these generalized fears about groups or horrific events in order to command our attention and thus exercise a potent form of control and power over us, I think it does deep and lasting damage, not only to us as individuals, but as a society. Fear of liberals or conservatives, fear of evangelical Christians or atheists, fear of brown immigrants or rural whites or black people who live in cities 
None of these fears provides the security they promise. And so we see that the parable of the talents maybe isn't a tidy little one-off self-help story. Because Jesus lived a radical freedom from the forces of his world that presented themselves as providers of security, but in fact ruled through threats and fear and dividing people off from one another. The parable of the talents is, is another way into the radical essence of who Jesus was, which may mean it's another way into the radical essence of who you and I were made to be as well. Like Jesus, we're not made to bury our fear, lives in fear of the risk of losing them. But the way he models for us is not as a chest-thumping conqueror of one's fears, is it? That's more likely the image of someone very much in the grip of their dark and unfaced fears than of real bravery. As his parable of the talents and that dark night in the garden make clear, the way Jesus models is facing the risks inherent to our lives truthfully, even vulnerably. As our philosopher hero put it, it may be possible to tame fear by welcoming it. When one admits his fear, his finitude, a confidence can be reborn from this vulnerability. Among Anne de Fumantel's other books were one on hospitality, written with the great Jacques Derrida, and another, translated into English soon after her death, was titled Power of Gentleness. These subjects strike me as telling and wise if we take seriously this way of Jesus. Because they're turns outward, not inward, aren't they? Hospitality and gentleness have meaning only in relation to other people. Maybe you can be brave all by yourself as you step off a cliff strapped to your hang glider. But hospitality and gentleness involve people besides yourself. They're meaningless and worthless, buried in your solitary heart like a talent in the ground. In the end, Jesus wasn't forming fearless individuals. He was forming a community in which our fears can be honestly faced and vulnerably held, and only then begin to lose their sway over us, opening another way to be alive in the world. Another way that makes space for a gentleness, perhaps, and a hospitality that allows the essence of who you are and who I am not to be buried in the ground of our individual lives, but given away, like talents, perhaps, whether five or two or one, that we've been entrusted with by someone who's gone off on a journey, given away to a world in which the one lack we know God has called you to fill is the person God has made you to become. Amen. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates, or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.